You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Senior U.S. and U.K. officials have harsh words for Russian actions in cyberspace, even as President Putin undertakes a charm offensive at the G20 meetings. In fairness to the U.S. and U.K. officials, it's a pretty dour charm offensive. Iran ups its influence operations game. Legal investigations and legislative responses to the Marriott breach begin. A U.S. court upholds the government's ban on Kaspersky products. And paying ransom to cyber extortionists could violate U.S. sanctions. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, December 3rd, 2018. Russo-American relations further strained by an escalation in Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine last week have continued to deteriorate. Influence operations provide a familiar cause of contention. At the end of last week, U.S. Defense Secretary James Mattis said that Russia's attempts to influence U.S. elections show that President Putin is a slow learner. Reuters reported the secretary is saying, quote, Putin tried again to muck around in our elections this last month, and we are seeing a continued effort along those lines. Mr. Putin is clearly a slow learner. He is not recognizing that what he is doing is actually creating an animosity against his people. What we are seeing Putin do with his ripping up of international agreements, we're dealing with someone that we simply cannot trust. End quote. The U.S. isn't alone. At the G20 meetings in Argentina, President Putin proffered a kind of olive branch, or at least spoke with some unaccustomed honey on his tongue, praising Britain as an important partner. Britain, or at least MI6, was having none of it. As Bloomberg reports, MI6 director Alex Younger, in a rare public speech, named Russia as a major state sponsor of terrorism and cyber attacks. He counseled Russia not to take the UK lightly and that the British have no intention of abandoning their case against Russia for, among other things, the Salisbury nerve agent attacks. Younger added that while Britain did not seek escalation, neither would the UK remain supine in the face of Russian misbehavior. Asked in Argentina about this sort of reception by much of the world, President Putin said such accusations were a matter for the conscience of those presumably ill-willed or otherwise misguided people who say that Russia did such things. In the case of the United Kingdom, Mr. Putin said, quote, I hope that someday, and I proceed from the assumption that this must happen as soon as possible, we can overcome the difficulty in our relations, end quote. Iran has for some time been a rising cyber power. Recent U.S. indictments have focused on cyber attacks and cybercrime narrowly construed, but there are interesting signs that the Islamic Republic is now conducting relatively sophisticated information operations. This fresh capability, as Reuters reports, 
is currently most clearly on display against targets in Arabic-speaking countries, but it's by no means confined to them. Some 70 countries worldwide have been targeted by Iranian websites hosting disinformation and propaganda. These operate as what Facebook would call inauthentic sites, sites whose true ownership is obscured through fronts, false flags, and bogus identities. The four most heavily targeted countries are Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, and Pakistan, followed by the UK, Egypt, Iran, the Palestinian territories, Turkey, the US, Indonesia, Iraq, Israel, Russia, and Sudan. The line the sites take is directly supportive of Iranian policies and of Tehran's view of the world, but they represent themselves as independent voices carrying important news. Attribution of the sites to Iran is largely the work of researchers at security firms FireEye and ClearSky. Twitter, Facebook, and Google have all been used to amplify Tehran's messaging, although these platforms have taken some steps to expunge such inauthentic accounts. About half of the sites use services provided by U.S. companies Cloudflare and Online NIC, which say they've looked into the matter and are confident they're not in violation of U.S. sanctions against Iran. Authorities are beginning their investigation of the major data breach Marriott disclosed last week. As is often the case, the state of New York is first out of the gate. According to the New York Law Journal, the state's attorney general on Friday announced that her office was opening a probe that would not only look into the circumstances of the breach, but that would also determine whether Marriott's delay in disclosure constituted a violation of New York law. And if you're an affected guest wondering if there was anything you could have done to protect yourself, cyber company Rook Security says, essentially, no, there was nothing you could have done against this sort of breach. Security firm Carbon Black calls the attack an instance of island hopping, in which attackers pivot across distinct but interconnected parts of a corporate target. Attribution of the attack remains unclear, but many observers think the two proximate risks it raises are identity theft and espionage. The breach has added impetus to congressional movement toward national breach legislation for the U.S. as a whole. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit ruled Friday that the government's ban on Kaspersky products can stand. It's not, after all, an unconstitutional bill of attainder. The U.S. government's decision to keep Kaspersky products out of its networks will therefore stand. Finally, Bleeping Computer points out that ransomware victims now have another self-interested reason not to pay ransom. Under current U.S. law and regulation, if such payments go to the wrong place, ransomware victims could find themselves in violation of U.S. sanctions. Two possible illicit destinations for such payments would be Iran and North Korea. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. 
CyberWire Daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Daniel Prince. He's a senior lecturer in cybersecurity at Lancaster University. Daniel, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch today on cybersecurity and how that can affect growth, innovation, and productivity. What can you share with us today? So and this has been a bit of a passion subject for me for a, for a long time. And, uh, you know, it's the classic question, how can you measure return on investment for cybersecurity when, you know, you don't know whether something's going to happen um, uh, you're not sure whether you're going to protect against those, those losses because you never know whether you're going to be attacked. I've got to the point now where I think that's the wrong way of thinking about um, cybersecurity and that return on investment. So the some of the stuff that we're doing here, particularly working with businesses, is to flip the question around on its head. How do you actually build a business growth strategy with cybersecurity at its core? And I, we've been working with uh, a number of other universities in the Greater Manchester area in the UK. So the University of Manchester, University of Salford, and Manchester Metropolitan area, uh, uh, University. And we've got a project that we're going to be supporting a large number of businesses to actually take them through a structured process that puts cybersecurity at the heart of their business growth strategy. So this is a different question. This isn't how you use cybersecurity to prevent against losses. This is how do you use cybersecurity to grow your business. And we firmly believe that cybersecurity doesn't just have to be related to protection against that losses. We can actually use this to help you get market advantage. And we're certainly starting to see a lot of evidence in the market that if you can differentiate yourself inside that market because you are more secure than your competitor, you're starting to lever something with a client base that enables you to get bigger, get more sales and so on and become more productive. Um, the, the other thing that, that, that's key for me is that cybersecurity is, has always been um, an incredibly innovative space. We're always having to innovate. We're having to innovate against the attackers that are coming in. We're having to innovate to new defensive strategies. And the, one of the things for me is to take that innovative approach of cybersecurity professionals and think about how we can start to apply that natural innovative capability to sort of digital businesses and how can we drive those forward so that we have that really great combination of a 
highly productive digital business, but also it's secure for their, for their, uh, the customers. But in the last space, one of the other things is uh, I often liken cybersecurity to health and safety. And when I talk about this, uh, people kind of you know, get a little bit upset with me because they don't like health and safety. But actually, health and safety is there within your organization to ensure that people don't get injured, don't go off sick. They, you're there, the health and safety is there to help them to be a productive worker and they're not taking unnecessary risks that could potentially damage themselves or their equipment, or the, the people they're working with. So in that way, cybersecurity is also uh, related to the productivity. It's there to help your employees really work more effectively, uh, let take less risks that will potentially end up damaging the company and uh, the, the equipment that they use. Now, I'm curious, you know, from, from a business point of view, I mean, is this a, a situation where, uh, you know, some of the folks from the cybersecurity side of the campus need to walk over to the folks in the business school and, and have a sit down with them and say, uh, you know, you need to you need to integrate our stuff uh, deeper into uh, your business classes. Yeah, definitely. I think this, this is uh, one of the vital things. And I think it's really important that the, uh, that the folks in the management schools start to look at um, how cybersecurity can be this mechanism for growth, innovation and productivity not just a mechanism to manage risk or defend against losses. But certainly some of the conversations that we're having here at Lancaster University, I've been working with a, a behavioral economist for, for, for quite a while now, looking at some of these questions, um, thinking about how we can have these organizational structures that, that really support productivity and growth, but deliver a secure and safe working environment for the employees and for, for the customers. It's true now that you know, every business is digital, uh, so we can't, you know, cybersecurity can't just be a separate thing. And it can't just be a thing that we use to protect against losses. We have to internalize that within our business strategies to really drive forward business growth, uh, certainly within sort of modern uh, climate where companies are really pushing to find that competitive edge. And, um, you know, this cybersecurity can give you that competitive edge. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, as always, Daniel Prince, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.